The best of Paranormally Speaking, Volume 8. World's Most Haunted Forests. In Japan, known as the Sea of Trees, the dense forest at the northwest base of Mount Fuji is one of the eeriest places in the world. It's rumored that large underground iron deposits interfere with compasses, setting walkers forth on the wrong paths. Sadder still, the forest has been the site of more than 500 reported suicides since the 1950s. Locals claim to hear their spirits scream through the night. Black Forest in Germany. The Grimm brothers set many of their fairy tales in this bewitching landscape along the Rhine River in southwestern Germany, which looks just as you'd imagine. So densely forested with fir and pine trees, that sunlight rarely pierces through. It makes an ideal playground for mythological creatures like sorcerers, werewolves, witches, and kindred or kind-hearted dwarves. For a more adult tale of hauntings, killings, and dark magic in this forest, turn to The Necromancer, first published in 1794. Wishwood Forest in England. A hand reaching out to touch the shoulder of a solitary person. A horse-drawn cart carrying a couple with two sobbing children. These are the reports out of Wishwood Forest. Once part of a larger royal hunting ground in Oxfordshire. Most compelling is the case of Amy Robsart, the wife of the Earl of Leicester. She mysteriously died of a broken neck. Confronted her husband as a ghost while he was hunting in Wishwood, and predicted he would join her in 10 days, which he did after falling ill. Anyone who meets her, it is said, will befall a similar and swift fate. Devil's Tramping Ground in North Carolina. Deep in the woods, near Harper's Crossroads, about 10 miles east of Siller City, there's a mysterious 40-foot ring where the devil stomps and circles each night, plotting how to bring about the downfall of mankind. Or so the story goes. Even the North Carolina State Department of Agriculture has supposedly taken samples of the soil and has yet to come up with an explanation for why the patch is devoid of growth. Dal Hill in India. 
The Victoria Boys School, established in the late 19th century in West Bengal, is rumored to be haunted. Students report ownerless footsteps echoing in the corridors, but the surrounding Dow Hill Forest is an even bigger hotbed of paranormal activity, with woodsmen reporting seeing a headless boy wandering among the trees. Romania has the Hoi Bakue Woods. Hoi Bakue in Transylvania has captured attention of the wrong sort of moor than half a century. Residents of nearby towns claim the forest, which has a circular clearing at the center, is a portal, and that those who pass through may never return. Anyone who does survive reports feeling anxious and nauseous the whole time they are there. Once said to stand straight and tall, the trees are even twisted into knots now. Island of the Dolls in Mexico. The trees of this island near Mexico City are strung with hundreds of dolls. Two creepy horror movie-style effects. The island's only inhabitant, Don Julian Santana, discovered the body of a girl in one of his canals more than 50 years ago. He found a doll floating in the same water and, in tribute, hung it on a tree. The first of thousands of dolls he would string up until 2001 when he drowned in the very same canal. Some believe the dolls, many of which are missing limbs, are evil. Others believe they safeguard the island. Depart from Embarcadero Ferry Terminal for the four-hour round trip to see for yourself. Freetown Fall River State Forest in Massachusetts. Part of the Bridgewater Triangle. This 200-square-mile swath of land is southeastern Massachusetts is tormented by paranormal activity with layer upon layer of intrigue. The Native Americans who occupied it in the 1600s sold it reluctantly and left behind several burial grounds. It was believed to be the site of satanic murders in the 70s and 80s, and it's still the backdrop for odd sightings, UFOs, poltergeists, fireballs. Randolph Forest in Maine, billed as the smallest town in the state. Randolph Forest, flanked by residences, has an outsized reputation among locals for being haunted. Abandoned cars and ripped up railroad tracks that once used to usher veterans to a hospital, now grown over with grass, are the backdrop for reported flashes of light, the appearance of orbs, and strange ambient noises. During the daytime, the woods seem harmless, but we dare you to venture there when night falls. Epping Forest in England. Stretching from East London to Essex, 6,000-acre Epping Forest has been the setting of horrors both real and, well, debatably so. It served as the hideout for outlaw Dick Turpin and cop killer Harry Roberts and has also been the hiding place for murder victims, among those the children targeted by Ronald Jebson, an episode of the British living TV show attempted to find the ghost of Turpin, but the team ended up lost themselves, perhaps a prank of the elusive spirit. Robinson Woods in Illinois. Alexander Robinson, 
Borenchichi Penque, and chief of the Potawatomi and Ottawa and Chippewa nations, is buried along with his families in these woods. Orbs of light throughout the night and thought to be the spirits of Robinson's family appear both day and night, while during the day groups of deer sometimes circle visitors without apparent reason. Near the graves, people tell of smelling lilacs during the winter. Fifth Wood in England. In the early 19th century, the Greenlaw House, within walking distance of Frith Wood, was converted into barracks for French prisoners captured during the Napoleonic Wars. A woman supposedly fell in love with a prisoner who was beaten to death at that time by her father and brother. She died shortly thereafter, possibly by her own hand. Her ghost returns to the site of her lover's murder. Some say she sobs. Others say she runs frantically through the trees. And then Old House Woods in Virginia. This 50-acre forest near the Chesapeake Bay is a refuge for the ghosts of 18th century British soldiers and pirates who once passed through the nearby historic port town of Matthews and who may have left buried treasure chests in its soft drift. At the center of the woods, off Haven Beach Road, was a solitary and dilapidated colonial homestead that burned to the ground. Of all the sightings here, perhaps the most intriguing was reported by fishermen on White's Creek in the 19th century, a ship silently plying the creek, continuing on over the beach and disappearing into the woods. Savannah, Georgia, home to dozens of celebrated haunted houses and hundreds of ghost sightings. Savannah is often called the most haunted city in the United States, especially by its many ghost tour operators, who have often uh, begun with the visit to the city's historic cemetery, a tangle of stone tombs, eerie statues, and spooky trees laced with Spanish moss. Among the cemetery's resident ghosts is that of Gracie Watson, a six-year-old who died of pneumonia in 1889. Her ghost is said to haunt the life-size statue that stands over her grave, which, like several other funeral statues in the cemetery, are sometimes said to move as if they were alive, while the sound of children playing or crying is sometimes heard nearby. Savannah's Hampton Lilybridge House was built in 1797 and was relocated to its current location several years later. Despite the discovery of a mysterious crypt beneath the new property, which has never been opened, since then no fewer than 26 families have lived in the house and have complained of various ghostly going-ons that forced them to move out. These strange encounters included furniture moving around and doors locking themselves. The most famous haunted house in Savannah may be the Sorrel Weed House, which appeared in the opening shots of the 1994 film Forrest Gump, directed by Robert Zemeckis. The Sorrel Weed House is said to be the, haunted by at least two vengeful ghosts, the wife and the rival lover of a shipping merchant, Francis Sorrel, who built the house in 1840. Francis' wife 
Matilda Sorrell allegedly jumped to her death when she discovered her husband's infidelity. But historical researchers point out that by the time of her reported suicide, in a moment of lunacy, the Sorrell family had moved out to another property next door. The Whaley House, which is located in San Diego, California. Whaley House in San Diego is the most haunted house in America, according to Life magazine. This house was built in 1857 on the site of a former graveyard and gallows. Over the years, it has served as a family home, a grain store, the San Diego County Courthouse, the city's first commercial theater, a ballroom, billiard hall, and a school. It subsequently opened as a museum in 1960. The oldest resident ghost at Whaley House is said to be the convicted robber Yankee Jim Robinson, who was hanged in 1852 from a gallow that stood on the property. Before the house was built, according to a newspaper report, as the wagon holding him beneath the gallows moved away, Yankee Jim dragged his feet on the wagon for as long as possible before swinging like a pendulum and slowly strangling to death. Although Thomas Whaley, a settler and merchant, witnessed Yankee Jim's gruesome execution, he didn't pre- it didn't prevent him from purchasing the property a few years later and building a house there. But within a few weeks of moving in, the Whaley family reported hearing heavy footsteps as if made by boots of a large man. The reports of footsteps and other sounds have persisted for more than 100 years. The youngest daughter of the family, who lived in the house until 1953, was reportedly convinced that it was haunted by the ghost of Yankee Jim. And visitors of the museum in the 1960s also reported hearing a phantom walking noise. Other visitors say they've seen the ghosts of Whaley family themselves and the ghost of a woman in a long skirt in former county courtroom. One parapsychologist reported that he saw a phantom dog running inside the house, similar to a fox terrier, the type of dog that was owned by the Wheelie family. Next location is Bachelors Grove Cemetery in Chicago, Illinois. This small cemetery in a forest of the outskirts of Chicago has earned a reputation of the most haunted graveyard in the United States, thanks to more than 100 documented sightings of ghosts, strange lights, and other suggestively supernatural episodes. During the 1950s, after an outbreak of vandalism at the remote site, several people claimed to have seen an entity, an entire phantom farmhouse shimmering above the graveyard, which receded as they approached it. Others say they've seen the ghost of a farmer and his plow horse who died when they were dragged to their death in a nearby pond. Some people driving on the roads near the cemetery at night have reported encounters with a phantom 1940s-style gangster car that appears on the road in front of them before turning off the road and disappearing. Others claimed to have crashed in the phantom car at a sharp curve into the road, but after the shock had passed, there was no damage to their vehicle and there was no other car. In 1991, the Chicago Sun-Times newspaper ran a celebrated photograph taken by a visitor to the graveyard showing what appeared to be the semi-transparent form of a woman in an old-fashioned dress sitting on a gravestone. The photographer, part of a paranormal research team, claimed that the woman was not visible when the photograph was taken. The figure in the photograph has become known as the Madonna of Bachelor's Grove. 
It may be linked to the legend of the White Lady, the ghost of a woman buried next to her young child who is said to walk through the graveyard on nights of the full moon with the infant wrapped in her arms. Next on the list is in St. Louis, New Orleans, Louisiana, the St. Louis Cemetery. Paranormal, the paranormal has a distinctive local flavor in New Orleans, which vies with uh, Savannah for the title of the most haunted city in America anyway. One of the city's most infamous haunted houses is the La La Laurie Mansion in the French Quarter. The mansion is the former home of Madame La Laurie, a wealthy widow and prominent socialite. In April 1834, after a fire at the house, rescuers found bound slaves in a secret torture chamber in the attic, who had been horribly tortured over a long period, and there were signs that others had been murdered there as well. If you remember, uh, I believe it was season five of American Horror Story, no, season three of American Horror Story, uh, Coven, and they dealt with uh, the vengeful spirit of Madame Lalaurie and showed all of the horrible acts that she committed against her slaves and the experiments she used her slaves for. Uh, when the discovery became known, the house was raided by an outraged mob of citizens, and Madame Lalaurie fled the city. Later occupants of the building have claimed it is still haunted by the ghosts of her victims. The St. Louis Cemetery, number one in New Orleans, has something of a reputation for the dead not staying in their graves. Among them, Marie Laveau, the city's historical queen of voodoo, who died in 1851, but it was said to materialize above the crypt where she is buried each St. John's Eve, which is June 23rd. The Myrtles Plantation at St. Francisville, just outside of New Orleans, is rumored to have been built on a Tunica Indian burial ground. At least 12 ghosts are said to haunt this location of the plantation grounds and buildings, including Chloe, a slave who had <clears throat> was accused of poisoning the family of the plantation owners. The ghosts of her victims and mother and daughter are reported to be trapped inside a mirror in the main house. The ghost of a later owner, William Winter, is said to haunt the main staircase of the plantation house. Winter died in 1871 after being shot by a stranger who approached the house. Winter staggered inside and climbed to the stairs to the 17th step where he died in his wife's arms. It is said his phantom footsteps can sometimes be heard on the staircase, climbing to the 17th step before stopping. Our next location, which is among the seven most haunted places in the United States, is Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. I myself spent a week in there, and the accounts that we witnessed, the paranormal activity that resides within this property, the whole location, if you were to build a subdivision in the middle of the field itself of Gettysburg, where the battles took place. Every single house would be haunted in this subdivision, not because of what took place in the houses, thus making it haunted, but the property itself would haunt the houses. It is the largest and deadliest battle in the American Civil War, and it took place in Gettysburg. In 1863, more than 8,000 combatants were killed at Gettysburg, and in the years since the bloody battle, an uncommon number of ghost stories have been linked to events 
and personalities on the battlefield. Several visitors to what is now the Gettysburg National Military Park have reported hearing sounds of battle, including phantom cannon fire and disembodied shouts or screams of ghostly soldiers. At a high rocky outcrop on the battlefield, it's called the Devil's Den, where heavy fighting took place on the second day of the battle, which was June, uh, July 2nd, 1836. Several visitors over the years claim to have heard the sound of drum rolls and gunfire. Devil's Den is also said to be haunted by the apparently friendly and sometimes talkative ghost of a soldier wearing a buckskin clothing, a large hat, and no shoes. Several ghost sightings have also been reported at the hill called Little Round Top, where Confederate troops were forced back from an assault on the flank of the Union forces, also on July 2nd, 1863. An event regarded by many historians as a turning point in the battle. It has been claimed that some Civil War enactors, reenactors, I should say, who worked on the 1993 film Gettysburg, a dramatization of the battle, met and spoke with a man in a shabby Union Army uniform who gave them some musket rounds, which they assumed were movie props but which they later learned were Civil War rounds in pristine condition. Legend tells that three Confederate soldiers were hanged at Saks Bridge, a covered bridge a few hundred yards west of the Gettysburg battlefield. Some stories say the soldiers have deserted from their unit, while others say they were hanged as spies. The bridge is now a favorite site for ghost hunters, and some claim to have heard sounds of loud gunfire and galloping horses, while others reported seeing strange moving mists and unexplicable lights. Saxbridge was one line of retreat for General Robert E. Lee's defeated army of Northern Virginia over after the Union victory at Gettysburg, and the smell of smoke from the General's pipe has sometimes been reported nearby. The St. Augustine Light Station in St. Augustine, Florida. St. Augustine's Light Station may be best known as the hundreds. As now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. The weird world of haunted eBay Purchase with caution. Buyer beware warns the eBay listing for the haunted vintage antique evil active possessed witch demon doll. So many things have happened when this doll is near, writes Selamit Treasures number seven. She must go. I cannot have her in my home any longer. The doll, which has been photographed from a Ouija board, can be purchased for $99.99 plus $7.70 shipping. The Ouija board is not included. Now, this is for an artist's obsession with listings for the cursed, doomed, and otherwise unexplained. They actually have this cursed item atop a Ouija board. Haunted, vintage, antique, evil, active, possessed, witch, demon doll. Buyer beware, it says. For $99.99, you too can own this little piece of evil for your own home. I wouldn't suggest doing that. 
The owner goes on to say, I just got obsessed, said the artist Eric Ocklander, 31, speaking of the night two years ago when he first came across a listing like this one. The item was described as a haunted box, which we all know as a debit box, and he immediately, immediately began searching for others. That night, he captured screenshots of more than 50 similar listings and has been looking at them ever since and for more. Another example, the haunted spelled pirate ship Pirate Spirits brings money and riches for $49.99. Or how about the haunted spirit puppy's dog puppy animal antique old figure, no doll, paranormal, for $14.99. Or the haunted 16-inch spiritual doll spirit vessel, supernatural paranormal power, could be yours for $59 and $7 shipping. There's also the Haunted Bones Totem, magical for the metaphysical, for only $5.95, with $4 shipping. Oglander describes himself as a collector of aesthetics, and his material is the ephema of this world and around us. For him, it is not the item on sale, but rather the listing itself, which becomes the object. The listings are a way of containing a story and also telling a story at the same time, he said. The images are taken from this collection that he has. His previous work includes Craigslist Mirrors, a popular Tumblr site that was published as a book in 2016, seemingly simple in conceit. It consists exclusively of screenshots of listings of people selling mirrors on Craigslist. The images are funny, poignant, and often unintentionally telling, revealing strange corners of people's lives. Another sample of what he has collected through the years. A large size paranormal haunted box lot, curious doll and jewelry, Wiccan and more, for $50. He also has a cursed ring, 100% haunted, witch-owned blue stone ring, vessels, Vampire Master Spirit, $140.50. I appreciate the fact that these photos are being taken for the sole intent of selling an object, Oglander said. Once they are put into a new context, however, they can then be appreciated as something aesthetic. By collecting the listings in this way, Oglander brings out patterns that may go otherwise unnoticed, and if so, only in passing. Like the haunted spirit figurine, no doll Simba cat feline plays animal meows for $24.99. Or the black-eyed 16-inch spiritual spirit vessel doll, supernatural paranormal power is haunted, $5,800. The haunted eBay listings include many ordinary objects such as feathers, coins, pebbles, pieces of wood, Often they are said to be enchanted for good luck or for fortune, good or ill. You will be able to feel the vibrational energy from your coin. Must be a positive environment and attitude for it to work. Advises one seller, please note this chip is for money luck only, not general good fortune or finding love with a different spell, warns another. Uh, another example of an item that's a cursed piece on eBay. Voodoo Spell, Lucky Money Token, Casino Chip, Bally's AC, not haunted, but very powerful. Or a Metaphysical Magical Rock, Slice of Pie, the Haunted Stone, Healing, for $48. You've got a Haunted Folk Magic, Natural Wood Effigy, Healing or for Hexing, Elemental Only, $65. 
Other items are said to have powers all their own. Hearing voices is really common. Faces appearing, sounds, Oglander said, but also misfortunes happen. A string of negative events can happen in people's lives, like these objects have cursed them before. The claims are, of course, difficult to verify. The site's rules dictate that all listings must offer a physical item or tangible service. Many listings include disclaimers about the objects. Supernatural attributes as required per eBay's policy on the sale of paranormal items. This is for the sale of a tangible item only. No promise of a spiritual attachment, writes one seller. Purchase with caution, writes another. Not recommended for children to play with. There's an It Clown, 21-inch tall, haunted, doll spirit, vessel paper mache, paranormally active and creepy AF, $19. Or the Haunted Spirit Doll, Spirit Vessel Supernatural Paranormal Active, Possessed Doll, $39. There's the Corn Man, Strange Corn Fields, Sightings, Paranormal Apparition, Left Behind Mask, $110. Haunted Coin Collection, Very Active, Make Wishes, Fun and Magical, $3.99. Still, such disclaimers do not entirely prevent instances of negative feedback from disappointed customers, which sellers sometimes address. They often reply and say that you need to exit with it for a while before you start experiencing things, said Oglender. You didn't give it enough time. For example, I'm disappointed that nothing happened. Not haunted, not sure why they ensure spirits go to the good people. In this context, buyer beware serves as both a disclaimer and as a potential selling point. As one listing put it, I do not take any responsibility for it. If anything at all happens, blown fuses, divorce, etc., the item, a vintage teddy bear, sold for $560 after only 46 bids. Vintage haunted plush teddy bear. When asked if he was superstitious, Oglander said, I guess I believe in spirits. I want to at least hope that there's some magic in the world, some underlying thing we can't see. Still, he has never bought a haunted item himself. A haunted doll is a handmade or manufactured doll or stuffed animal that is reported to be cursed or possessed in some way. Research around why people of that um, understanding, why people perceive dolls as creepy, has been conducted with some varying conclusions. A 2013 study by psychologist Frank McAndrew named doll collecting as one of the creepiest hobbies an individual could have. Of the topic, the creepiness, McAndrew stated that it was related to the uncertainty as something might be dangerous, but you're not sure it is. In a 2015 article for Smithsonian.com, writer Linda Rodriguez McRobbie stated that dolls inhabit this area of uncertainty largely because they look human, but we know they are not. Since the doll lacks the ability to mimic human brains as the most basic evolutionary tactic, remains suspicious of whether or not it is human since they may expect the doll to mimic their own actions. This leads to the feelings of physical coldness when the doll does not act the way one thinks it should. There was an individual who contacted me about a year or so ago and met up with me at one of my book signings. They had purchased a haunted item from eBay. It was one of the Thai Beanie Baby ghost bears. And allegedly the doll was per the toy was purchased 
for this person's cousin and it was given to them when they were undergoing treatment for leukemia and they died from cancer or leukemia while holding this item the Thai beanie baby bear ghost and no one else wanted it after that they were all distraught because every time the immediate family held on to the item they were immediately brought back to the time that the kid was alive and wanted nothing more to do with that item which brought feelings of despair and the cousin ended up with the item so he tried to sell it on ebay and with no luck based on the price he was getting out of it plus the negative feedback he had received from family members who felt he was exploiting the death of his cousin uh, by selling a quote-unquote haunted item he decided to keep it and strange things started happening in his apartment uh, he believed that his cousin's spirit was attached to the item. So he took it upon himself, well, he and his father, thought maybe we should communicate with it and see if we can talk to our cousin. Well, this kid's cousin, and it was his dad's nephew. And then dark things started to happen after they did a makeshift seance with just the two of them. And when they played around with a Ouija board... Uh, they ended up bringing something over that was not the cousin, obviously, based on what was going on and what the item had attached to it and the things they were hearing and seeing and the visions they had. And this person met up with me, handed the item to me, and I have it locked in a box, a wooden box with a glass display with a trinket around its neck a tiny little flask, almost like a, a beaker, per se, with a cork in the top of it, with kosher salt in it, uh, kosher salt and flakes of limestone. And I have the seal of the box coated with holy water uh, around it, of course. And at that time, I did a prayer of holding. So I, I kind of created my own debit box, I guess you could say. But it's a fun little item to take around. It makes a great conversation piece. Would I reopen the box based on what the person told me was happening in their home? No, I have children. Is it a neat item to have as a, an alleged haunted item? Yeah, it's a cool piece. Have I had anything strange going on in my home as a result of owning this item? No. But it's still cool to bring to uh, broadcasts when I'm on the radio or on a television segment or at book signings and conventions before this pandemic took over and ended up canceling all of those and showcasing this and talking about it with people. It gets them to open up a lot about antiques they purchased or things at yard sales they've purchased or even on eBay, haunted items and the effect it's had on their lives. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Next segment. This story I'm about to share with you is absolutely mind-blowing. It was sent to me 
about a week ago. And it's connected to the declassified and recently unearthed files from the CIA on UFO phenomenon. Stating that a UFO attack occurred and five extraterrestrials petrified 23 Russian soldiers. 23 Russian soldiers lost their life during a UFO attack in Siberia. The CIA declassified report describes this event as a horrific picture of revenge on the part of extraterrestrial creatures, a picture that makes one's blood freeze. The frightful information was one of the many published online by the CIA directly connected to their website. Chiefly, it involves a horrible event about a UFO alien attack which turned into stone 23 Russian soldiers. Now, I said earlier this occurred in 1988. I was mistaken. It was March 27, 1993. This infamous report was created then. In a translation of a report from the Ukrainian newspaper, Ternopil Virginility, namely the newspaper claims that after Mikhail Gorbachev lost his leadership, many KGB files ended up in CIA hands. Among them, allegedly there was a 250-page portfolio on the strange UFO attack. The report included pictures and witness statements as well. The report stated that the flying saucer had appeared over a military unit training in Siberia. It was cloaked, and they were not aware of that, and inadvertently shot it down. One of the soldiers is then said to have called everyone else to go and seek the vehicle after it crashed to the ground. It said five short humanoids with large heads and large black eyes got out of the crashed vessel. Just two soldiers are said to have survived this encounter. The report claims five beings emerged from the crashed craft and the joined together to form a ball of light which then exploded, turning 23 soldiers into stone. The report reads... The KGB goes on to say that the remains of the petrified soldiers were transferred to a secret research institution near Moscow. After this incident, the two witnesses who survived stated that when this blast occurred, they were temporarily blinded, but then regained their sight a few minutes after that. It was a bright flash of light, started out pulsating, and a low-pitched hum could be heard. And it just knocked half of them down, and the others stood in place and turned into stone, or mummified, dehydrated, whatever you want to call it. And then another craft dropped out of the sky and destroyed the UFO that had been shot down and picked up the five humanoid aliens that were on the ground. Specialists assume that a source of energy still unknown to earthlings instantly changed the structure of the soldiers' living organisms, having transformed it into a substance whose molecular structure was no different to limestone. A CIA representative stated at the end of this report, if the KGB file correspondents are being real about this, this is an extremely menacing case. It is not explained in the document why the CIA held a translation of the Ukrainian newspaper report on file to coincide with this. According to UFO website and YouTube channel Lion's Ground, you have to be careful about what the CIA publishes online, as it could be deliberate deliberate misinformation. And now, 
Fun facts with Neil Parks. This is some amazing stuff I wanted to share. Fun fact. Declassified FBO documents mention the idea that Nikola Tesla had a connection with space people and was brought here by them as a baby. This was apparently not revealed until 1950, according to the information in this recently released document. Reflect on this. Although the claims within the document are not verifiable and may very well be untrue, as much as they could be true, Nikola Tesla had a very well-documented interest in life on other planets and believed to have received signals from beings on other worlds. Reminds me of David Bowie. Fun fact, mainstream UFO disclosure is taking off, and the subject is no longer taboo. There's a common narrative in the field suggesting that because mainstream media is presenting the topic the way they are now, the phenomenon represents nothing but lies. But reflect on this. Does mainstream media cover real events and attempt to manipulate the perception of the masses regarding such events? Are there powerful groups of people out there who want to control the narrative when it comes to the topic of UFOs? Reasonable evidence suggests that the CIA hired remote viewers to find out information about extraterrestrials visiting our planet, their intentions, and also potential extraterrestrial bases that exist on Earth right under our noses. Reflect on this. The UFO phenomenon is no longer taboo, like I stated. The reality of it has gone mainstream, and so has the extraterrestrial hypothesis. What are the implications of exploring this topic? Can we really trust government for any accurate information? Or do we just have to continue being our own judges in this matter? Hey guys, good news. The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic, which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And Hems makes it extra affordable. You pay just 30 bucks for a month's supply. And right now, get your first online doctor's visit totally free when you go to 4 slash good. That's right, free, zero copay, no expensive appointments, no awkward face-to-face -face conversations to get your prescription. Hims connects you to doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe your ED medication. And a pharmacy sends it right to your door. Hims makes it affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To start your free online visit, you need to go to this exclusive address, 4 slash good. That's 4 slash good for your free online visit. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash good. Family is big around here. We're family-owned, family-operated, family-managed. And that means legacy. That means dependability. That means using Granger. With over 1.5 million products and knowledgeable product experts, Granger has whatever we need. And with same day pickup and next day delivery options, they have it whenever we need it. For over 90 years, businesses like ours have trusted Granger. Because, like family, Granger's got our back. Call, clickgranger.com, or stop by to see for yourself. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Mysterious monoliths are appearing across the world. Here is what we know. We don't know where the mysterious monoliths are coming from, but we do know that they are creating quite a stir, both online and when just talking with people about current events. Into the fiery plague-ridden nightmare-scape of 2020, like a gift from some benevolent higher being, has come 
a source of true wonder and delight. The wandering monoliths of Utah, Romania, California, New Mexico, and now England. The monoliths are long vertical slabs of metal, each 10 to 12 feet tall. They appear with no warning and disappear just as quickly. First, the one was in Utah in the desert, which emerged on November 18th and then suddenly vanished on November 27th. The second one appeared outside of the Romanian city of Piatra Nimt, which appeared on November 27th and disappeared on December 2nd. So the same day that the one in Utah disappeared, it then reappears all the way in Romania. Then it disappeared on December 2nd. The third one at the top of Pine Mountain in Atascaria, California, which appeared on December 2nd, the same day that the one in Romania disappeared. It disappeared December 3rd and then reappeared the next day, December 4th. This was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The fourth one appeared on December 7th, but then disappeared the same day it actually appeared. They look like alien artifacts in part. That's because they are heavily reminiscent of the monoliths in Stanley Kubrick's film, sci-fi classic, 2001 A Space Odyssey, where vast black monoliths are deposited by aliens to guide human beings from one stage of evolution to the next. Kubrick, or no Kubrick, all four, well now five, of these real-life monoliths are eerie. No one knows whether another will suddenly appear or whether it too will vanish into the night. We know very little about these monoliths at all. In fact, that seems to be part of their point. They are beautifully inexplicable phenomenons and prove that the world still contains marvels. The monolith timeline. The first monolith, as I said, was discovered in November in a remote desert canyon in Utah's Red Rock Country. A helicopter crew counting bighorn sheep noticed a flash of metal looming up from the ground and flew down to investigate. There it was, deeply embedded in the red rock of the canyon floor, an enormous smooth metal triangular prism just standing there. What the heck is that? One of the workers muttered in a video released by the Utah Department of Public Safety. Okay, the intrepid explorers go down to investigate this alien life form and other cracks. Now, the interesting thing that springs to mind, strange anomalies like this popping up. I remember it was a week before the September 11th attacks in 2001. I was still in college at this point. And down the road from me are the Serpent Mounds, which is an earthwork phenomenon mixed with an ancient Native American site. The indigenous people that inhabited this land before the white man stole it. And across the road from where the Serpent Mounds are set up is this field that, yeah, it's attributed to the Serpent Mounds, but it is private property, was discovered through sonar technology. And 
an aerial x-ray that was taken. This huge metallic circle embedded in the ground, almost like a miniature wall, they said. It wasn't a solid object. It was a round, looked almost like a stargate based on the images from the sonar. And they took some samples of it and discovered that it predated the Bronze Age. Now, for some kind of metallic object to predate the Bronze Age and be buried so far into the ground, out in the middle of nowhere, near a sacred Native American site, leaves many questions unanswered. It, too, gave off a frequency, a certain pitch uh, that could be heard through equipment used to measure pitch and frequency and any kind of radio waves to and from an object. And this was giving that off. So they removed it from the area where it was resting underground. And then a week later, the September 11th attacks happened. You never hear anything else about this strange metallic anomaly that was buried in the ground that is just as weird and unexplained as these monoliths. And to this day, no one has any more information on it other than a few newspaper articles that were floating around, some sonar and x-ray images, and the words of eyewitnesses who were on the site of the excavation. This same area in 2003, directly across the road from the Serpent Mounds, in a similar field that was down the same road, appeared in soybean fields. The most bizarre geometric pattern within a crop formation that I myself had ever seen appear in North America. And this was in 2003, and groups of experts came to investigate that, take samples of the soil, take samples of the crop that was affected by the extreme heat that was used to push down these crops. Now, the, the thing about a crop formation or a crop circle, whatever you want to call it, if it is legit and not man-made, the crops are going to be swollen from exposure to heat and hanging over, not snapped or broken, where they appear to be stepped on or broken to form a geometric pattern or a circle. Because usually when they're fake, they're just circles. And they're not even perfect cylindrical circles. Uh, they're off. They look almost like an egg from an aerial view. But these were geometric patterns. And there is a device that calculates these geometric patterns and breaks it down and finds things coded within these crop formations, these forms, these geometry equations. That's technically what they are. And when you break it down, you find different musical notes, different codes, passages, uh, different writings embedded in the way these geometric patterns are spelled out. And I'm wondering if these monoliths are trying to tell the same story or are from the same source. And I mentioned earlier my crackpot theory. What if somehow these monoliths are being placed by some upper echelon group using science and frequency and pitch and technology to cure COVID-19 and they're placing these in areas to try and eradicate the plague, the pandemic, 
by using frequency and technology. Now, that's far-fetched. I don't think we as humans have reached that point of understanding in pseudoscience yet. But another worst-case scenario is what if these are being placed around uh, to help speed the process of death by this pandemic by using it and honing in on its frequency and its pitch and spreading it on an international level and killing more people. That's probably just as crazy as the original concept. Satan's Little Helpers. Crimes committed in the name of the devil. Picture a satanic ritual. There will be candles, there will be symbols possibly drawn in blood, and there might be some kind of sacrifice involved, goat or otherwise. It's an idea that's formed the basis for enough horror films. Then there are the times you see it play out in real life. If you look back over the crimes in the last century, some of the worst examples, including brutal murders and child abuse, will have Satan's name attached to them. And that's without having to go back to the Enlightenment era. The devil gave blame for a lot. It's an easy explanation for committing unspeakable acts. Satan made them do it. And in some of the most famous cases of satanic worship, it's simply not true. Take the West Memphis Three. Teenagers Damian Eccles, Jesse Miskelly Jr., and Jason Baldwin were arrested for the murder of three eight-year-old boys, Steve Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore. This was in 1993. The children were stripped, hogtied, and killed. Byers had been mutilated. It was a shocking crime that is still picked over today, and the motive was said to be Satanism, a ritualistic killing. But the only links between the teenagers and Satan appeared to be Eccles' history of mental illness and the teenagers' shared love of metal that went against the crucial influence of their Bible Belt town. The trial was reminiscent of the moralistic outrage that took over the 1980s in America with this whole satanic panic. Much of it was focused around McMartin's preschool case in 1983 when allegations of sexual abuse were made. A mother at the school made the initial charges of abuse after her son had problems with his bowel movements. The charges then escalated to accusations of flushing children down the toilet to secret rooms and reports of flying witches. The charges were only dropped in 1990 after a trial that had been going on since 1987 found no evidence of abuse or satanic ritual. It was the longest-running case in American history. But it's not all hype. There are cases of horrific abuse and murder that really are linked to Satanism. One of the world's most infamous serial killers, Richard Ramirez, was a Satanist and partly responsible for hysteria in the 1980s. From 84 to 85, he would break into people's homes in the middle of the night. Once inside, he carried out brutal attacks that often involved rape and sodomy before murdering his victims by stabbing, beating, or shooting them. Ramirez was a Satanist and made some of his victims swear on Satan or swear they loved Satan during the attacks. At 17, as I mentioned before, the name Sean Sellers became the youngest person to be given the death penalty after it was reinstated in the 1970s. His crimes were murdering a shop clerk who refused to sell him beer and later his parents before 
The murderous sellers had immersed himself in Satanism, signaling his devotion by carrying a vial of fresh blood around his neck, which he would drink from, naturally. On the night of his parents' murder, Sellers had been performing his rituals. He later said he fell asleep and woke up to find his stepfather's gun in his own room. Sellers went into their bedroom and shot his stepfather then, and when she woke up, shot his mother in the face. Sellers' grandfather directed the police to him. Initially, he claimed to have no memory of the crimes, but later said he was two people, Sean and his demonic alter ego. Then there's the case of Michael Taylor, who in 1974 claimed to be possessed. Taylor lived in West Yorkshire with his wife. When she started behaving erratically, his visor agreed to exorcise him. After hours of trying to expel the demonic spirits, Taylor was warned that a few demons still remained inside him. Quote, that was reason he then slaughtered his wife with his bare hands. He gouged out her eyes, pulled out her tongue, and almost tore her face off completely. He also strangled her dog. Taylor was sent to institutions for four years, but that's not where his story ends. In 2005, he was found guilty of indecently touching a teenage girl. Demonic possession, or rather mental illness, was also behind the murder of Gemma Finnegan by Daniel Johnson in 2013. Johnson, who was schizophrenic, met his partner Finnegan after he was released on probation from prison, having murdered a man in 1996. Finnegan had no idea. Johnson believed she was possessed by a demon and strangled her, beat and stabbed her to death. He was found wandering around a school in Newcastle covered in blood. A sex cult that cropped up in Wales in 2011 was also linked to the occult, led by its own high priest, Colin Bately, who enrolled his wife and two other adults. The cult operated out of the group's cul-de-sac. If um, it sounds gen genteel, the group raped and assaulted children and teenagers, enlisting some into prostitution from that very place. The group practiced occult rituals and writings, but were not technically Satanists, following the teachings of English occultist Aleister Crowley. In fact, 148 crimes were reported to the Metropolitan Police between 2004 and 2014 that involved witchcraft or ritualistic killings. And it continues. Earlier in 2015, two schoolgirls in America were arrested after they were found carrying weapons. The pair allegedly confessed to a plan that included drinking other children's blood and possibly eating their flesh. What could make two preteen girls plan something so awful? They said they wanted to be with Satan. The Devil on Trial Brookline, Connecticut is the type of town where murder never happens. In fact, when 40-year-old Alan Bono was murdered on February 16, 1981, it was Brookline's first homicide since the town had been founded 193 years earlier. The guilty party had stabbed Bono more than 20 times with a common pocket knife. The killer was 19-year-old Arne Cheyenne Johnson. Went to trial proclaiming a most unusual defense. 
not guilty by reason of demonic possession. The Devil App. In February 2019, police in Kalamazoo, Michigan, released the 2016 interrogation tapes of spree killer Jason Dalton. Dalton, 48, carried out one of the most inexplicable mass shootings in recent memory. On February 20, 2016, Dalton, an Uber driver, shot and killed 62-year-old Mary Lou Nye and her sister-in-law, 60-year-old Joe Nye. 74-year-old Dorothy Judy Brown, 68-year-old Barbara Hawthorne, and 53-year-old Richard Smith, and his 17-year-old son Tyler. In between some of these drive-by shootings, Dalton continued to pick up passengers and drop them off at their destinations. 14-year-old Abigail Kampf and 28-year-old Tina Carruthers were also shot during Dalton's rampage, but they managed to survive. During his interrogation, Dalton told detectives that Uber Mobile app began changing his personality. I know you guys are going to have a hard time believing this, but it literally took over my mind and body, Dalton told investigators. Cannibal Killers, number two. It is not easy to horrify the Russian public, but that is what happened in August 2008 in a forest outside of the city of Yarskolov. Four mutilated corpses were found. The bodies had been desecrated beyond belief. Plus, homicide investigators also learned that the victims, all of whom were teenage boys, had been robbed either before or after death. Still, despite this fact, the sheer brutality of the crime led investigators to believe that robbery was not the motive. Following a trial which was closed to the public due to the gruesome nature of the crime, 21-year-old Aga Balak was sentenced to 20 years in prison on charges of robbery, murder, and corpse desecration. The other five members of the robbery group, four boys and one girl, were given sentences that ranged from 8 to 10 years. They did these crimes in order to please Lucifer, they claimed. And number one, the strange case of serial killer Sean Sellers. At the tender age of 16, Sean Sellers was practicing Satanism. He regularly drank his own blood. According to Sellers himself, his descent into darkness began at around age seven. However, given his rough upbringing, one could say that Sellers was damned from the beginning. All of Sean's rage and humiliation exploded on March 5th of 1986. Wearing only a pair of black underwear, Sean crept into his parents' bedroom and shot both in the face. Sean would later state that he was angry at his mother because she disapproved of his girlfriend and the fact that he had dropped out of high school. Prior to the murders, Sean had carried out occult practice rituals. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the internet. The devil made them do it. 
10 Crimes Blamed on Demonic Possession. It is part of accepted colloquial speech to blame personal tragedy or personal weakness on demons. When someone commits suicide, people often speak about the dead's battle with their own demons. When someone commits a foul, bloody deed, another set of demons are invoked, the kind that warp minds and force otherwise good and decent souls to carry out murder. Both the Christian and secular worldviews see demons as malefic parasites that destroy human goodness. They, of course, debate whether or not demons are real or just mental illness. Some criminals believe in demons, and some even believe in demons so much that they have blamed their behavior on demonic possession. The case of David Berkowitz, also known as the Son of Sam, is the most well-known example of a serial killer blaming a demon for their actions. In that case, Berkowitz blamed the demon that had possessed Sam, his neighbor's dog. The following ten cases are nowhere near as famous as the Son of Sam, but they all feature murderers and the demons that supposedly drove them to kill. For starters, the murder of Lauren Landavatsko. 13-year-old Lauren was walking with her friend, 13-year-old Michaela Smith, on September 2, 2006. The pair were walking home after school along a typically suburban footpath. At some point, the two girls were approached by a young man in a car. That man was 20-year-old Cody Lott. Lott would later give two explanations for why he did what he did that day. He was jealous because Landavasco seemed to have a boyfriend and the devil wanted him to do it. Regardless of which one is being the truth, Lott opened fire on both girls with a 22 rifle. Smith, who managed to survive the ambush, told police that Lott made eye contact with her first before pulling the trigger. Eyewitnesses also claimed that Lott shot Ladenzatsko first before shooting her again after wounding Smith. At his 2018 trial, Lott repeated that it was the devil that helped him to plan the shooting. The prosecution struck the idea that Lott was mentally unstable and angry over his inability to find a romantic partner. In one of the weirder aspects of the trial, Lott's mother and stepfather sued the city of Wichita Falls, Texas, in order to retrieve the murder weapon. According to them, the twenty-two rifle that Lott had used in the murder had been stolen from their apartment. Lott was first at first found mentally unfit to stand trial and was sent to the maximum security unit of Texas Mental Hospital. Then, in September 2018, a Fort Worth jury found Lott guilty of the murder of Lauren Lavdazanko. Plus, they found him guilty of aggravated assault and the shooting of Michaela Smith. Lott, the man who claimed to have talked with the devil, was sentenced to life in prison. Number 9. The Attack on Peter Cherm According to his grieving family, 65-year-old Peter Cherm was a beloved father and grandfather. 17-year-old Tommy Smith did not care about any of this. The only thing he cared about on February 24, 2015, was getting the keys to Cherm's Range Rover. When Cherm stepped in to stop the young punk from stealing his vehicle, Smith, who had already been convicted of a staggering 57 offenses, pulled out a knife and stabbed Cherm in the head, 
back, neck, chest, and arms. The stabbing attack was so frenzied that Smith actually snapped the 8-inch knife in two. Smith went on trial for attempted murder in March 2016. Smith told the Wolverhampton Crown Court that he was not responsible for his actions and he had been possessed by a demon on that terrible day. The court more than likely did not buy the possession story, but they did take into account that Smith had been previously diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. As such, he was cleared of the charge of attempted murder. He was, however, convicted of grievous bodily harm and burglary. Churum was in the courtroom for Smith's sentencing, despite being blind in one eye and having survived a serious stroke as a result of Smith's onslaught. Rather than a jail cell, Smith was sent to a secure mental hospital for an indefinite period of time. The failed exorcism of Michael Taylor is our number eight. Believe it or not, in our secular age, exorcisms are on the rise. Last year, it was reported that the Roman Catholic Church in the United States was seeing a rise in the overall number of exorcisms throughout the country. And unfortunately, there is a shortage of exorcists. And in a, of Indianapolis alone received 1,700 exorcism requests between January and December of 2019. But back in 1974, one year before the release of the classic film The Exorcist, an exorcism was carried out in the sleepy town of Asat, West Yorkshire, England. The possessed subject was one Michael Taylor, a 31-year-old married father of five children. Most who knew Taylor described him as a cheery fellow, although he was prone to fits of depression. Now and then, for the most part of these black moods, were the result of back injury and made it hard for Taylor to maintain steady employment. Things began to change in the Taylor household when they joined the Christian Fellowship Group, a local church organization The previously irreligious Michael began regularly attending church services. One of the reasons for his dramatic change was 21-year-old Marie Robinson, the group's preacher. Robinson convinced her congregation that the power of God could drive out their demons. Outside of these meetings, some in Osset began to claim that Robinson and Taylor were carrying out an affair. The more Taylor became involved with Robinson the more his attitude began to change. The once chipper man became easily irritated and foul-tempered. Things came to a head when Taylor and Robinson were found naked together. Taylor blamed this on an evil presence within himself, and local Anglican vicar was called to perform an exorcism. During an all-night ceremony in October of 1974, The vicar, other ministers, apparently drove out 40 demons, including the demons of bestiality, incest, lewdness, and blasphemy. However, the exhausted clergyman decided to go home, even though they still believed that three demons, murder, violence, and insanity, were still in Taylor. A few hours later, Taylor was found covered in blood, which he claimed belonged to Satan himself. The blood, in fact belonged to his wife, Christine, those mutilated, whose mutilated body was later discovered in the Taylor home. Taylor was ultimately found not guilty by reason of insanity. 
Number seven, the murder of Angie Escobar. On September 10th, 2015, a body was discovered inside of an abandoned car in the Whitestone section of Queens, New York. The body belonged to 28-year-old Angie Escobar, who had died after being stabbed some 80 times. The medical examiner in the case found that Angie had been killed four days prior to her discovery. Before long, the New York Police Department zeroed in on a suspect, 31-year-old Luis Zambrano of Flushing, Queens. Zambrano was arrested on September 18th after fleeing to Virginia. Zambrano ultimately confessed to police that he had stabbed Escobar with a pair of scissors after the single mother admitted that she wanted to break off their relationship. In pleading guilty, Zambrano claimed that he had been possessed by a demon at the time of the murder. Zambrano also blamed trust issues for his actions. Number six, mommy is a killer. Elizabeta Plaskowatske of Naperville, Illinois, began hearing voices sometime before October 30th, 2012. These voices told Elizabeta that her child and one of her friends were possessed and needed to die in order to found salvation. Elizabeta gave in to these voices, and on October 30th, she killed seven-year-old Justin Plaskowatske and five-year-old Olivia Dwaraskowski, Justin was Elizabeth's son, while Olivia was spending the night in the Plasky Awaska family home. Number five, a frenzy of extreme violence. In Lutton, England, it's a rough place. Earlier in 2018, crime studies in the UK found that the city was one of the highest burglary rates in all of England and Wales. Lutton is also notorious as a popular home for some of the UK's most fearsome jihadists. As recently as July 2019, a 28-year-old man and a 25-year-old woman were arrested in the city and accused of carrying documents implicating them in a forthcoming terror attack. Lutton was the scene of a very different type of horror on May 26, 2015. That night, 32-year-old Jason Nelson originally from Granada, went to the home of 20-year-old drug dealer Jordan McGuire. The goal was to buy weed. However, Nelson didn't buy anything that night. Instead, he stabbed McGuire several times before fleeing into the night. McGuire managed to cling to life long enough to die in the street like a dog. After the police apprehended the suspect, he claimed that demons were surrounding the men that he murdered and that the demons told him in order to free himself, he had to kill McGuire. Please hold for a word from our sponsor. I asked you, the audience, to share your stories with me, and you did not fail me. I'm about to share with you seven different stories shared with me that, out of all of them submitted, are by far the creepiest. Seven scary as hell 3 a.m. ghost stories that will make you afraid of the devil's hour even more. The clock strikes three, demons come free. It is an age-old concept, and there are firm believers that the devil's hour exists and is not a myth or a superstition. I, for one, if by any chance I wake up at 3 a.m., 
I'm a little curious as to why it happens, or around that time for that matter. And who wouldn't? It is creepy. The night is dark and full of terrors, after all. But we occasionally love a good horror story, don't we? Also, we love to get scared when we hear someone else's citation of a true incident. Here are a few 3 a.m. ghost stories that will make you afraid of the devil's hour even more. This one was submitted to me. The title is Figure Behind. Hi, I am Sumit from India. I had a weird experience a few nights ago. I woke up at 3.30 a.m. I was on my bed lying down. I saw a shadow or a figure behind the curtain of my room. That curtain was near my washroom door. I looked at it and I heard a sound like a growl. It made that sound when I was actually trying to get up to see what it was. But I was paralyzed and I was trying to shout at it, but I could not even open my mouth. All I could do was just make a humming sound. All of a sudden, it was normal again. I got up in full anger and searched for it. But I thought the growl must have been my dog. But he was asleep. Since that time, I'm a little nervous about that time. The next one that I'll share with you is titled The Lamp. A few years ago, one night around 3 a.m., my wife and I were sleeping, and I felt myself slowly waking up from a really deep sleep. My eyes started lifting up, and as soon as they focused on the lamp on my dresser, it slid off and shattered on the floor. My wife and I quickly sat up and looked at each other, horrified at the startling noise. We agreed we would clean it up in the morning and went back to sleep. The next morning when we woke up, the lamp was at the foot of the bed, about five feet from where it fell, completely intact and not broken at all. We are still trying to make sense of this. This one was also submitted to me. It's called Down the Stairs. The only one I have is when I was in fourth grade. When I was little, I would always sleep with my door open. I went through a phase where I would wake up between three and four every night and every single night, I would hear footsteps walking up my stairs, around my living room, through my dining room, across my kitchen, and down my hallway. They would always stop right before my doorway, then turn around and go back to the basement. But one night, they didn't stop. What I saw was a shadow of a little girl, really couldn't tell if it was a girl or a boy, walk right in front of the doorway, look at me for a few seconds, and then walked away. Back down the stairs. I slept with the door closed the next night. Staring is the next one. My story begins about a year ago when I was sleeping in one of the rooms in my parents' house. I suddenly awoke in the middle of the night at exactly 3 a.m. I stared at my alarm clock when it suddenly turned 3.01 a.m. For some reason, I was staring out the window towards my neighbor's backyard. All of a sudden, their outdoor light turned on for about a minute or so before automatically shutting off. This was no ordinary outdoor light. My neighbors had one of those sensory lights that automatically turned on when someone approached the door or got close to it, usually installed to keep robbers away. 
What was most interesting about this was that no one was seen going in or out of their house through that door. If there was, I would not have been able to see their shadow. But in this case, the lights turned on for no apparent reason. I did not think about the possibilities after I awoke and until after I started hearing noises about 3 a.m., which is the most spiritualistic time of the night. Just thought I would share that because it seemed to have a lot in common with uh, stories you were asking about. That's all. The next one is called Over the Phone. And this one, of course, uh, deals more with uh, phone calls late in the night. What if they were affected by a time when our minds are in the sleep state combined with the thinnest veil between our world and the others? What a theory. A very interesting one at that. Every night at 3.37, for a period of a week, around the same time that my grandmother had died a year before, I kept getting calls on my phone at exactly 3.57 a.m. every morning. And it sounded like the piano music she used to play when she was still alive. The next one is titled, It Lurks. Ever since I was a child, I have had nightmares where someone drags me out of my bed. I wouldn't be able to talk or breathe. I know this is probably sleep paralysis. The thing is, I grew up Catholic and have always had a fear of the devil. I always wake up at 3 a.m. and pray or turn on my TV until it is 4. I used to joke that I had a demon following me to my friends because I always felt like someone was watching me. My dog used to bark at my closet in my childhood home. Last year, while visiting a friend, I made another joke about my demon haunting me. And right after I made that joke and walked away from the closet, I was standing in. A bag fell from the top right down onto where I was standing. The next day, my friend and I took a picture together and beside me was a strange orb like Flash with a clearly visible and ominous face. It made both of us cry. When I moved to my new and current place, things seemed to subside, and I felt normal again. But now I am having sleep paralysis again and waking up at 3 in the morning for fear of my life. As soon as I wake, I stare at one corner of my room because I feel like a presence is there. Even my fiancé woke up and said that she felt scared. He doesn't believe in the devil and said it is all in my head. Last night I had another nightmare where I was trying to call out for help because I felt like something was going to drag me out of bed. I woke up and my fiancé turned and looked at me and growled. I choked him and screamed and he woke up very angry because he didn't know what the hell was going on. He used to make fun of me and pretend to be a demon and do this, so I thought he was messing around. But it was still very frightening. I know what his snores sound like, and I know what I saw. I can't tell anyone because no one believes me, and I fear for my life now more than ever. I am 12 weeks pregnant and so stressed out that I fear I will miscarry. I am going to see a priest and practice penance and talk to him about what I should do next. Do you think this is in my head? The next one is called Watching Over. 
I'd been waking up at 3 a.m. and I couldn't be able to go back to sleep. I try forcing myself to sleep, but that doesn't work. Sometimes at 3 a.m., I would wake up and I couldn't move. Only my eyes would open. I wouldn't even be able to talk. And I would try talking in my head, wondering why I couldn't move or talk. Having me think someone is taking control of me, and I'm not sometimes. I always feel like someone is watching me. When I was nine, I had someone follow me. I first started seeing her at my grandma's house. But I was so scared I just ran into the room closet and closed it. I looked at my phone and it was 3.12 a.m. for me. Now, and it's been happening to me for two or three years already. I'm too scared to sleep and I like to stay up all the time with my friends on Facebook. I also FaceTime her when it's 3 a.m. because I don't want to be alone. Then I told her to stay up with me until 4.20 so I can sleep. We end FaceTime and try going to sleep because I am so tired, but it didn't work. I tried forcing myself to sleep, and it still doesn't work. All I am doing is closing my eyes and listening to music, and then I wake up feeling tired a little bit. Sometimes I would hear weird sounds like whispers or cracking noises, and I would be so scared I wouldn't even look to see what it was. I remember I was in my bed and my door opened by itself. I just felt my heart drop, having me out of my blanket over me, but my face so I could see nothing happened because then the door closed and I kept my eyes open until everybody else was awake so I would feel safe. I didn't want to tell my mother about it because I didn't want her to think it was from watching too many scary films or think that I was crazy. Please, I need help. I'm 12 years old. I'm a girl. I'm tired of not having the time to be able to go to sleep. And I'm being feeling scared all the time for what happens. I want it to stop. I always have to keep a cross by me when I sleep or by me all the time. I'll tell you what, since you sent this to me, if you wouldn't mind emailing me at parksparanormal at gmail.com, I can give you some advice. Thanks for sharing all of these stories with me. The Thing in the Swamp One of the most intriguing, not to mention chilling, encounters with a Pukwudgie is that of Bill Russo, a retired iron worker, or welder, who lives in Rainham, Massachusetts. His home was built on a knoll just a few hundred yards away from the Hockamock Swamp. For six years, Bill worked a shift from three in the afternoon until midnight. When he finally got home, it became his habit to take his 80-pound female Rottweiler German Shepherd mix, Samantha, for a late-night walk to get a little exercise and just relax. They walked every single night, not to mention what time of the year it was, and then everything changed one night. On one night in 1995, Bill and Sam went out on their nightly walk at about one in the morning. Usually, the two friends walked on the sidewalks towards the center of town and avoided the swamps. That particular night, however, the two changed their routine up a little and cut through his backyard and headed into the deep woods next to the swamps toward an old dam that had once provided much-needed water for an early ironworks. 
Sammy pulled along with Bill into an area that he calls the high trees. And when they had gone about a half a mile, they came to a break where a road cut through the swamp. At this point, Samantha began acting up, pulling hard on her leash and looking up at Bill. She trembled and her hair stood on end and looked at her master for protection. Bill asked her, What's wrong, Samantha? I don't see anything. It's okay, baby. We'll go home now. Come on. He tugged on her leash, but she wouldn't move an inch. She was afraid of something, and according to Bill, Sam was not a dog that frightened easily. She just cried and quivered. It was clear that something in the darkness had terrified this poor dog. It wasn't long before Bill began to hear the thing that was frightening his beloved dog. It was faint at first, but it was unmistakable. An eerie voice was calling through the night air, saying, Iwachu, Iwachu. The high-pitched, unnatural voice repeated itself, getting louder and louder and closer at the same time. At first, Bill couldn't see anything, even though there was a street light about 20 feet ahead of him. The lamp cast a bluish circle of light on the pavement in front of him, and then, in Bill's own words, into the circle walked a hairy creature about three or four feet tall, which probably weighed a hundred pounds based on how it looked. What happened next has been haunting Bill for almost 20 years. He watch you. He watch you. Chew, chew. He watch you, the creature said repeatedly. It stood straight on two legs and stared at Bill. With eyes that were too large for its own head, like the eyes of an owl, the two friends were paralyzed as they watched the creature, but the creature just stood there and didn't appear to be threatening. Samantha trembled, and then she looked at Bill as if to ask, What is it? Bill looked at the dog and said, It's okay, Sam, in a somewhat unconvincing manner. The creature kept speaking and began to motion to him with its arms, asking him to come closer. The creature wasn't wearing any clothing to speak of and was covered in coarse, unkempt hair and was about five or six inches long. The thing that appeared to have a pot belly as well and Bill took it to be a young stages of old age. What in the world was he dealing with? Bill had no idea. What was this thing? Possibilities began running through Bill's mind. Perhaps it was just a local kid dressed up for Halloween. Then he realized that this thing couldn't possibly be a toddler, nor was it any animal that he had seen before. Bill had seen beavers, muskrats, foxes, and bears in the Hockmock Swamp, but this creature didn't even remotely look like any of those animals. Bill and Samantha stood there looking at the creature for what seemed like hours, but in reality the encounter itself probably lasted only a few minutes. Although it appeared to be friendly and nothing over-threatening could be detected in its mannerisms, Bill had heard stories from other people about bizarre things that they had seen in the swamps, stories that could neither confirm or deny. Bill was scared. The tiny creature was much smaller than he was, and yet he was still very frightened. Worse yet, it was the middle of the night and the thing was talking to him. But eventually, Bill worked up enough courage and asked the creature a few questions. But the only answer that he received was Iwachu, over and over again. It was at this point that Bill and Samantha made a very big circle around the creature and went home as fast as they could. The two friends didn't look back, not even once. 
When Bill arrived home after the encounter, he was very shaken up about it. He made a big pot of coffee and kept drinking it throughout the night, one cup after another. That night, he relived the entire experience over and over again in the confines of his living room. He wondered if he should have tried to talk to the creature more or if he should have at least walked up to it. What was it? What did it say? He asked himself. As near as he could figure, it was trying to speak English and was saying, We want you. We want you. Come here. Come here. Bill took this to mean that there was more than one of these creatures. Needless to say, Bill didn't get much in the way of sleep that night. To this day, almost 20 years later, Bill doesn't really know why the tiny creature wanted him. He has come to believe that he narrowly avoided his own death that night, but he also regrets not having taken action. If I had been Darwin or Dr. Livingston, he recounts, I would have walked to the thing and would have made a great discovery and would have written a new chapter in human history. But it was just, I was just a weak, frightened man who slinked away and lost a chance to catalog an entirely new species. I am ashamed to admit that I walked away. Did Bill encounter a Pukwudgie that night? He believes that he did, and the description of the creature's appearance and behavior all point out that he may have indeed encountered one of these tiny trolls. If one buys into the legends, then Bill was very wise to walk away from the creature. If he hadn't, then it's very possible that the creatures would have made a meal out of Bill and his faithful dog, Samantha, who passed away, unfortunately, in 1998. The man also believes as more and more of the Hockmock Swamp is filled, such encounters will become more and more commonplace. Who is to say that Bill isn't right? Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, parallel universes, angels and demons, time travel, cryptozoology, and so much more within the realm of the unexplained, the strange, and the out of this world. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, screenwriter, researcher, and paranormal professional. Join me every week as I tackle hot-button topics within the paranormal realm. I'll share personal accounts, my research, and secondhand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. That's the end, my only friend. The end. Have a great rest of the week. Terrific weekend. Stay warm because the temperatures are dropping. So